You are listening to a special presentation of Superman and Batman. Okay out there in Marvelland, face front, this is Stan Lee speaking. You've probably never heard a record like this before because no one would be nutty enough to make one with a bunch of offbeat artists, so anything is liable to happen. And welcome to a special episode of Superman and Batman, featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. My name is Michael Bradley, I'm your host, and this is, on one hand, going to be a more melancholy episode, but on the other, it's also going to be a celebration. Comic book and pop culture fandom was dealt a gut punch last week when news broke that comics creator Stan Lee had died. Lee had been dealing with health issues for several years and was less than two months from his 96th birthday, so the news wasn't exactly a surprise. But still, at least to me, it was no less of a shock. Um, I think I let out an audible gasp when I got the news alert on my phone. And I've said before, maybe not on this show, on this podcast, but elsewhere, that I am not someone who necessarily fawns over celebrity. But there are certain people who, when they're no longer with us, it it certainly stands out. And again, to me, Stan Lee is one of those. I posted on Facebook when I learned the news that most people who know me know that I'm a fan of Superman and Batman. And Stan Lee didn't create either character. But there is no doubt in my mind that superheroes including Superman and Batman, would not be what they are today without Stan Lee. Others have and will, you know, in the weeks and months ahead, more eloquently and adequately speak in depth about Lee's life and his career and the impact he had on not just comic books, but the American pop culture tapestry as a whole. And I would guess anyone listening to this show already knows those high points, but I would recommend that you seek out some of these sources anyway. Lee had a nearly 80-year career, and in that time, he and his collaborators left an indelible mark 
on the cultural landscape. For this episode, I want to talk just briefly about Stan Lee, uh, what he meant to me, and his take on superheroes and how that ties back into the show. When I started the podcast back in 2013, I created a promo for folks to use to help get word out about the about the podcast. And I let off that promo with a clip from an interview where Lee talked about superheroes and, and why they're important. It was slightly edited for the promo, but here is the full clip. Why do you think in America superheroes are so important? People need heroes, whether in real life or in fiction, because they need somebody to inspire them, something to aim for, somebody to try to be like. And I would guess there are some people who have wondered why I kicked off a promo for a show about Superman and Batman with a clip from Stan Lee, someone who didn't have a close association with either character and, in fact, spent most of his career working for or leading the competition, as it were. But one of the reasons that I think Superman has resonated for more than 80 years is because he was birthed as something of a prototype for all heroes that followed. He gives us hope. He gives us relatability. We relate to Clark Kent and his everyday struggles, and we aspire to the greatness that he is able to be as Superman. And it's similar with Batman. Bruce Wayne suffered this huge, unspeakable tragedy as a child, and he used that pain, that hurt, to transform himself, to rise above. And in that clip that I just played, in just a few words, Stan Lee captured that idea. The idea of why, since time immemorial, the collective we of humanity, in every age, in every society, in every culture, have had folk tales and myths and legends. And now superheroes. Heroes give us reasons to aspire to greater things. Examples of how to reach beyond our own inhibitions and confines, both mental and physical, and be something more. They teach us lessons that our own frailties and foibles and just personal tragedies and just our, just our worst human instincts don't have to define us. And these are ideas that ran through or run through all of Lee's iconic works. Spider-Man is probably Lee's uh, the, the character that, that Lee is most closely associated with, the most well-known of his creations. He's the quintessential everyman hero. And you all know the famous line, with great power, there must also come great responsibility. The X-Men. They live in a world that hates and fears them, but still they are sworn to protect it. The Incredible Hulk. Our worst fears of, of science gone wrong leads to someone with this great anger inside of him that, that he must control, this great dark secret that could be the world's destruction or its salvation. The Fantastic Four, a group of people who, like so many other heroes, went through their own personal tragedy but persevered, teaching us that with family and friends at your side, you can overcome anything. Daredevil, the idea that nothing not even blindness, not even the loss of one of your five senses can keep you from being great. And the list of stories and characters that Stan Lee had a hand in, you got Iron Man, Thor, it, it just goes on and on. Stan Lee didn't create Captain America, 
but it isn't lost on me that an 18-year-old Stanley Lieber's first professional writing job was a Captain America story. Stan Lee was 15 years old when Action Comics number 1 hit the stands. I don't know if Lee read that issue then, or later, or ever, but three years after that issue's publication, Stan Lee was on his way to becoming one of comics' most prolific writers, one of its most important creators, and one of its most well-known and affable personalities. According to Mike's Amazing World, Lee is credited with 3,972 stories from Marvel Comics alone during his career. A figure which doesn't even include the text stories, like the aforementioned Captain America story where he got his start. 3,972 stories, the majority of which were written in a 30-year period from 1941 to 1972. Now, the contributions of Lee's collaborators on those stories, those thousands of stories, are not to be overlooked or understated, but Lee understood the makings of a superhero in his gut. He helped to usher in a new age of comics in a period that revitalized both superheroes and comic books and injected them with the creative momentum that is still being felt today. I said at the top of the show that this would be a more melancholy uh, episode, and it is, because we're mourning the loss of someone who was so important to a medium that means so much to me and I'm sure many of you listening. But I also said it's a celebration, and it is. You know, he might have been writing about uh, big green monsters or businessmen in metal suits or teenagers in head-to-toe spandex, but he did it in a way that unleashed imaginations and provided an escape and an inspiration for people of all ages for decades. And he had a good time doing it. And that, if nothing else, is worth celebrating. And I think there's really no better way to wrap up this part of the episode than by reading the words of the man himself, as quoted in a 2003 magazine article. All I tried to do in my stories was show that there's some innate goodness in the human condition. And there's always going to be evil. We should always be fighting evil. So, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back for a look at a classic comic story written by Stan Lee himself and starring Superman.
face front, lift your head, you're on the winning team. You belong, you belong, you belong, you belong to the Merry Marvel Marching Society. March along, march along, march along to the song of the Merry Marvel Marching Society. If you growl, if you groan, and your score is nearly zero, do not howl, do not moan. You can be a superhero marching right along through the fighting song of the Merry Marvel Marching Society. Stand a little straighter, walk a little prouder, be an innovator, laugh a little louder. That's right, true believers, your ears did not deceive you. In the second half of the episode, we are going to look at a Stan Lee written story featuring the Man of Steel himself, Superman. And just to clear up any confusion, no, we are not referring to the first appearance of Dr. Octopus where, wallop and web slingers, the Lee-written story refers to your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man as Superman. In fact, Stan Lee wrote, as I said in the first episode or the first segment, Stan Lee wrote and is credited with thousands of thousands of stories during his career, the majority of which were published by Marvel Comics. However, Lee also is credited with a handful of stories in books published by DC Comics, who for the majority of Lee's career was his biggest competition. Lee's first credit in a DC book came in Detective Comics number 600, where he contributed a 10-line poem in honor of the Batman's anniversary. And I'm not going to go so far as to say you have to track that down, but it is worth tracking down just to read a poem about Batman written by Stan Lee. And that's all I'm going to say. Perhaps most well-known of Lee's DC work, however, is the 13-issue Just Imagine series from 2001 and 2002, which saw Lee and a roster of comics as top artists reimagine DC characters through Lee's unique vision. During that time, Lee also wrote a four-page story illustrated by Marvel bullpen veteran Marie Severin in DC's 9-11 Memorial Tribute book. But perhaps the most important story that Lee wrote for DC came just a couple years later. What would be Lee's last work for DC, the story came in DC Comics Presents Superman number 1, which was one of a series of eight one-shots published as a tribute to longtime DC Comics writer and editor Julie Schwartz, who had died the previous February. The book was released August 4th, 2004, with an October 2004 cover date and a price of $2.50. Stemming from Schwartz's well-known practice of coming up with cover concepts and having writers write stories based around those, each of these one-shots features two stories inspired by a classic DC Comics cover. And then the cover to the tribute issue also pays homage to that classic cover. The Superman issue uses Nick Cardi's cover to Superman number 264, an issue edited by Schwartz and coincidentally published just months after Stan Lee stopped regularly writing comic books as he assumed the role of publisher for Marvel Comics. 
So, the cover to the special is by Adam Hughes, and as I said, pays homage to Cardi's original, showing Superman getting knocked back from a punch by a disembodied football uniform. As in 1973, it's a very intriguing cover. The second story is by Paul Levitz and Keith Giffen and Al Milgram, but our focus is going to be on the book's first story, titled The Phantom Quarterback, and for which credits are as follows. Stan Lee Script, Darwin Cook and J. Bone Art, Dave Stewart Colors, Jared K. Fletcher Letters, Mike Carlin Edits, Superman, created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. And can I just interject and say it it makes me happy to see Stan Lee, Jerry Siegel, and Joe Schuster all credited on one comic book story. It it makes me really happy. This turgid tale is not for the faint of heart. It will tear your emotions and grab your guts. It's the gripping saga of a man who refused to accept his fate. Torn from the tapestry of life itself, he's a man who could be you. Especially if your name happens to be Professor Harold Gorky. Ahead of a charity football game where the Buffaloes are to take on the Tigers and their star quarterback, Tank Torgan, with Superman as guest referee, Professor Gorky spitefully stews about those who would swoon over those with brawn, like Tank, while ignoring those with brains, like himself. Even Gorky's assistant Tiffany ignites his ire as she is suddenly smitten by the beefcake's bulging biceps. Looking to attract affection for himself, Gorky bets a date with Tiffany that he can defeat the Titanic Torgan with science, assuring her she need only come to the game to see it for herself. After Gorky strikes a deal with the Buffalo's owner by promising him a cash cow with an invisible quarterback, it's the day of the colossal contest. As Tiffany gazes gleefully from the stands, the invisible quarterback buoys the Buffaloes and tames the Tigers play after play, covertly controlled by the jealous Gorky. At halftime, Gorky returns to Tiffany, only to be further flummoxed at what she sees as another rival in romance, as Tiffany wins a flight with Superman. The second half begins, and Gorky's amazing athlete mashes the Man of Steel during a daring drive downfield to win the game. Curtailing the celebration, the Metropolis Marvel follows the footballer off-field, learning the sports superstar is actually an athletic automaton, created by Gorky as part of his sordid suiting. Superman uncovers the scientist's scheme with the fraudulent footballer, but realizing Gorky's pure-hearted pursuit doesn't reveal the ruse, instead telling Tiffany he came to congratulate Gorky and remarking to himself that any man who would go to all that trouble for a woman probably deserves her. Don't you love a happy ending? So maybe this reflects poorly on me as a reader or uh, how cynical or jaded I've become that I can't just enjoy a comic book story for a comic book story. Uh, But I get to the end of this fun little story, and we have this panel of Superman smiling, saying that uh, Gorky, quote-unquote, deserves Tiffany. And my first thought, literally my very first thought, was because women are prizes to be won? But with all due respect to uh, the importance of that conversation, and and it is one that definitely needs to happen, needs to continue to happen, Uh, and and it's, it's not something I want to dismiss out of hand, but 
that's also not what we're here to talk about. We're here to, to celebrate Stanley and to remember him and, and just have a good time with a, a Stanley written comic book story. So I will say this was a fun story. It, you know, it, it isn't an in depth character study of Superman, and it isn't one that I would put up with the greatest Superman stories of all time or even the greatest Stan Lee stories of all time. It, it, it is, it is, it wasn't even so much about Superman as it is about Gorky. But it's a fun tale, and it's a simple tribute to a comics legend written by another comics legend. Um, It isn't at all an apples-to-apples comparison, but if you were to try to pick someone who, in the Silver Age, was to DC Comics what Stan Lee was to Marvel Comics, Julie Schwartz would definitely be a finalist in that race. So, I'm really happy that Lee got to participate in this event, and I'm even happier. Um, I said earlier this was possibly the most important story that Lee wrote for DC, and that's because this is the only time in a career that spanned more than, you know, six decades that Lee wrote the traditional version of any DC Comics character. And what's weird is, others might have better memories than I do. Okay, most people probably have better memories than I do, but I don't remember this being a big deal at the time. Stan Lee, Mr. Marvel, writing Superman. Maybe it was just overshadowed by the immensity of Schwartz's death, or maybe I'm forgetting something that was glaringly obvious, but I just don't remember it being um, a big deal, and at least to me, it kind of is a big deal. But I'm very happy we got this. You know, the fanboy in me would have loved to have seen a quote-unquote traditional Superman story with Jimmy and Lois and Clark Kent, Shirt Rip, Daily Planet, Luthor, Fortress of Solitude, all that jazz. But, on the other hand, Devil's Advocate, would that, could that ever live up to expectations? But here, we can hold this up and say... Stan Lee wrote Superman. It is a footnote to a footnote in his career, but it is one of the most iconic creators in the medium, putting pen to paper for one of the most iconic characters in the medium with a fun story. Lighthearted humor and a plot that is kind of a throwback to what DC was publishing when Lee was in his heyday writing for Marvel. Um, Enough to give us a taste of what might have been, you know? So, yeah, I think that about does it. Um, I'll be real honest with you guys. I am not good at wrapping up things like this in a way that is smooth or uh, not awkward. So, I think I will just say that I appreciate you all listening. I will talk to you next time. And Stan... Thanks for the entertainment. Thank you for giving us something over which we can come together as friends and family and fans in a community to celebrate something we all enjoy. And thank you for giving us something that we can use in order to aspire to be greater than we are. Excelsior. Nothing will keep us together 
listening to Superman and Batman, hosted by me, Michael Bradley. Feedback can be sent to michael at greatcrypton.com. I love hearing from listeners, so be sure to send your comments, questions, and other feedback, and I will likely read that on a future episode. Show notes, information, and back episodes can be found at greatcrypton.com. Be sure to follow the show via Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe via iTunes or RSS feed so that you never miss an episode. If you subscribe via iTunes, be sure to leave a review. Not only does it help others find the show, but I'd love to read that in a future episode as well. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Batman was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, and both characters are copyright DC Comics. I want to thank you again very much for listening and invite you to come back next time for another episode of Superman and Batman featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. stories, I would occasionally have somebody die or introduce a serious subject. I didn't like to do it too much because basically I feel comic books, in fact, anything I do, whether it's comic books or movies or television or animation, should be entertaining. And I never want to, and, and most of what I do is for younger people. I consider people in their 20s younger. In fact, right now, I consider people in their 70s younger. But at any rate, it it was for younger people. And I didn't feel they should be burdened with too much heavy stuff. I felt they should read my stories, enjoy them, and come away feeling better. But at the same time, in trying to inject some reality, some realism into the stories, and also to surprise the readers, because it's important for a reader never to know what's coming next, thought occasionally... I should have somebody die or get seriously ill, occasionally touch on some serious subject. Now, those are two separate things. The having somebody die was for the sake of drama and holding the reader's interest. The serious themes that I would occasionally inject were for another reason. 
I began to realize, judging by the fan mail that we received, I began to realize that our books had quite an influence on the readers. And I kind of took that seriously. I felt if these people are reading my words and the words of the other writers working for Marvel, I felt we've got to be careful and we've got to make sure that we're not giving them the wrong messages. So I never, I don't like to preach. I hate people to preach to me and I don't like to preach to other people. But at the same time, I feel there are kind of universal truths that nobody could quibble with, like, To me, the most important mantra in the world is do unto others what you'd have them do unto you. I mean, I don't see how anybody could take issue with that, and I try to follow that, and I think if everybody followed it, this would be a, the world would be paradise if you'd never treat anybody the way you didn't want to be treated. So that, that's about as far as I get into religion. Just, I was opposed to bigotry, as opposed to cruelty, I was opposed to demeaning women or um, other sexes or not other or other races or colors or creeds. So I would try occasionally to bring those themes into the books. Now, very often I'd get fan mail from people. What is your religion? What do you think of Christianity as opposed to Judaism, as opposed to Buddhism? Never got into that because I didn't feel it was our place to get into that sort of thing. And I would never, I mean, I would answer them, but I never answered the question specifically. I would tell them, we are purveyors of entertainment, we hope. Who's the man? Who's the man? Who's the man?